Let us read. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was, not, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father has given me, or all that the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know that Christ came into the world to bear the weight of our sins in the body of a man, fully God and fully man, and we thank you for the incarnation. Lord, we, we know that your grace is sufficient for, to cover all of our sins and that Christ in his righteousness bought us with his blood. 
And we pray that this evening we feast upon him, that we sup upon his holy name, and that we continue to live in a way that glorifies you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context here, as I, as I mentioned earlier, after Jesus fed the 5,000 during the Passover, it was on the mountains near Tiberias, he had to withdraw from the crowd because they sought to make him the king of Israel because he fed 5,000 people with, with some fish and some loaves. And Jesus then, we know, the disciples leave, they set sail to Capernaum without Jesus because he's away praying in the, on the mountain. And he comes to them on the, in their boat walking upon the water on the third shift. And the text says that he, once he reaches the boat and enters, the boat immediately reaches the, the shore. And there's different ways to think about that, but it's, it's cool to think about it. Immediately reached the shore when Jesus entered. So the crowd saw that Jesus and his disciples were no longer present Tiberius, so they went seeking them at Capernaum because they knew that's where the disciples were headed and they did not see Jesus leave. So they found Jesus teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum and began to again ask him for a sign. So the crowd finds Jesus in verse 25 and they begin to ask him why he came to Capernaum. Jesus rebukes them, saying they are not following him because they saw signs but rather are following him because of the bread and the fish that he provided for them at Tiberias. Jesus goes on and instructs the people to not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This food is spiritual food and only can be received by the Son of Man on whom God the Father has set his seal. The language Jesus is using here is alluding to the fact that he, he indeed is the Son of Man and that he indeed is the one who gives the food that leads to eternal life. In verse 28, the crowd asked Jesus what they must do in order to work for the bread that is given by God. Jesus responds in verse 29, saying, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The crowd again seeks a sign from Jesus, that they may observe him carefully and believe the words that he says, that he says to them. The crowd perceives Jesus not as the Messiah, but rather as a prophet or a messenger sent from God, just as Moses was. So just as Moses had performed signs in Exodus, the, these Jews believed that Jesus would perform signs that would reveal his authority as a prophet sent by God. In verse 31, the crowd then quotes Nehemiah 9.15, which says, He gave them bread from heaven to eat, which is in reference to whenever God in the exile gave the Israelites manna in the wilderness for 40 years to sustain them. This is also found in Psalm 78, referenced. And this, uh, this event is in Exodus 16. This is the story of the manna. The manna, although it is often referred to as the bread from heaven, is purely physical bread. And it's important to note that. It, it is not a spiritual sustenance in itself, but it was a symbol and a type for what was to come in Christ. Jesus responding to their request to see a sign reminds them that Moses is not the one who gave them the bread from heaven, but rather it was God the Father who gave them the bread in the wilderness, and it is God now giving them the true bread from heaven in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus masterfully uses the crowd's desire for bread and their, their reference to the manna in Nehemiah to transition to speaking about his true reason for his ministry. In verse 33, Jesus says that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
The crowd then asked for this bread, and Jesus, in his divine love for his people, seeks to further reveal himself after he already provided for them, for the 5,000, physical bread. So in verse 35, we'll continue. Jesus tells the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Now this is the first I am statement that John gives us in his gospel. And I implore you to consider the riches of God's grace revealed to us in this passage. So in the Greek here, John uses the emphatic version of I am. It's ego eimi in the Greek, which grammatically the phrase would mean the same thing if you just used the word eimi, which is the first person singular of the to be verb. The addition of ego is just one of emphasis and is a phrase that is used in the Old Testament by God to describe himself. As Pastor Pugliotti mentioned this morning in Exodus 3.14 in the Greek Septuagint, God tells Moses to sell the, tell the Israelites that I am that I am has sent you to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt. Well, that phrase is the same ego eimi in the Greek Septuagint that describes Jesus as the bread of life in John chapter 6. So the Jewish audience would have likely recognized that this was Jesus claiming to be God himself, a statement that would have been blasphemous if uttered by merely a man. The I am phrase that is so critical in our understanding of Jesus and of God speaks to God's absolute self-existence, which means that God is eternal and is the source of all being. The self-existent God of the universe, by his infinite grace, chose to come into this world in the flesh the body of a man, Jesus Christ, that he may give life to his own people and nourish their souls. Jesus fed the crowds, they saw his works, and yet they still did not believe that he was the Messiah. Whoever comes to Jesus will never hunger nor thirst again. He is the source of spiritual nourishment for all who believe in him. Those who are given to Jesus by the Father will come to him, and they will never be cast out. They have been given spiritual eyes to see that Jesus is the only source of nourishment and that he has been sent by God to provide life to God's covenant people. They once were blind, and now they see. So, go on here. Verse 40, Jesus then tells the crowds that he seeks only to do not his own will, but the will of the Father in heaven who sent him. Jesus states that the will of the Father is that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who came to earth to do the will of God the Father, reveals to his own people, the Jews, not only the purpose of his earthly ministry, but also the fulfillment of the redemption of God's people to be reconciled unto their Creator. The Jews remained hardened and they grumbled, saying that they know Mary and Joseph, and they recognize that Jesus was not from heaven, but from Nazareth, right? That's what they're saying. But in verse 34, they earnestly asked Jesus to give them the bread of life. And when he revealed to them that he is the bread of life, they rejected him, and they despised his statement. Jesus rebukes them for grumbling. And in verse 44, he reveals that those who will come to him and believe upon him will be drawn first by God the Father. And this passage beautifully highlights God's sovereignty and salvation and the activity of both the Father and the Son in God's redemptive work. However, we're not going to focus on that today. We're going to focus on the spiritual nourishment that is found in Jesus that he reveals to his people in Galilee before his death and resurrection. So, 
Jesus, the bread of life sent from heaven by God to do the will of the Father, is the one who faith is required in for eternal life. Jesus is telling the Jews that in order to be doing the work of God, which is the question that they asked him at the beginning, and to work for the food that endures to eternal life, they must believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, and that he is the Messiah who was sent into the world in flesh to redeem Israel. Jesus, in verse 48, to kind of bookend this passage, it says, again, I am the bread of life. Jesus reminds them that the manna in which was a sign from God was merely physical bread, as I mentioned earlier, but it signified more than just food. John Calvin, in his commentary on Exodus 16, wrote, For St. Paul calls the manna spiritual meat, and that, he gets that from 1 Corinthians 10, 3. And in another sense, Calvin says, Because it was a type of the flesh of Christ, which feeds our mind unto the hope of eternal life. Jesus declares that those who ate the manna in the wilderness died, and that he alone is the bread that gives everlasting life. The manna was an act of grace by God towards his covenant people, as he provided all the food they needed in the wilderness for 40 years from this bread from heaven. Jesus in his grace reveals himself as the living bread from heaven, the true bread, the spiritual food that the manna was always pointing forward towards. Jesus says that those who eat of this living bread will live forever. Those who partake of Jesus in his flesh are the children of God and are promised true life in Christ. Those who once sought to crown Christ as the king of the Jews because he fed them physical bread now are disgruntled at his offering of himself as the living bread that endures to eternal life. Just as Jesus says in verse 26, they were not seeking things above, but rather physical sustenance. And the offer of eternal life by belief in him was rejected by many in the crowd because they could not fathom what it meant to feast upon Christ later in the, in the chapter of talking about eating his flesh and partaking in him. And it was a hard saying. Even his disciples were disgruntled by this. So it's important, though, to remember that this takes place directly during, right after the Passover. And this, Jesus says in verse 51 that, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Those who eat of the flesh of Christ and believe in him are sprinkled with his blood, that his atonement may cover them with the righteousness of Christ, that the wrath of God for sin may be spared for the believer. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that was slain. He fulfilled the Passover requirement with his sacrifice for us. Jesus is the eternal bread of life. He reveals this to the people of the region of Galilee where he was raised, and they reject him. Jesus gave them an answer as to how to obtain the food that provides eternal nourishment, and yet their eyes were not open to the glory of Jesus standing before them. Let us now consider, as we laid out the text, the implications of this passage and what it is to teach us about our God. As we seek to draw the meaning out of this text, we must understand that this has an intended meaning to an original audience that wasn't 2023 in Harrisville, Pennsylvania. So, there's many things that can apply to our context, but when we're interpreting Scripture, it must be done in the context in which it was written. And I have two key points of doctrines this evening that come directly from the passage that we then can apply to our lives to feast upon the living bread 
the eternal bread of God. So point number one, Jesus was aiming to teach the Jews that he, the eternal son of God, is the only true source of spiritual life. In Matthew 4, Jesus responds to the temptation of Satan during his 40 days in the wilderness of temptation by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. We've all heard this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus in John 6 says that he is the bread of life. But in contrast with the manna, Jesus tells the Jews not to seek after the food that provides for the body, but to seek after the bread of life that feeds our soul. The words spoken by Jesus were spoken by God in the flesh, and belief in him is belief that his words are the words proceeding from the mouth of God, for Jesus is God, and that's what he's claiming here. The teaching of Christ here leads us to the necessity of doctrine that in order to obtain eternal life, one must believe that Jesus Christ is God who came in the flesh to give himself for the sins of the world. Few other passages in Scripture more clearly direct our hearts and minds to the deity of Christ than the idea that He is the eternal bread of life. The incarnation is the central point in God's redemptive story and in all of human history. As God comes into the world, He condescends into human flesh to be the once-for-all sacrificial lamb and give His life for His people. Jesus gives His flesh to be destroyed that we, through His suffering, may be covered with his righteousness. Not only did Jesus come in the flesh as God to his people, but he perfectly obeyed every jot and tittle of the law of God. And his perfect obedience is where our entire faith rests, as Christ is the only one who was holy and able to atone for our sins and fulfill the law perfectly. In other words, he was and he is and will always be the spotless lamb that was slain for our sins. This passage speaks to the fact that our spiritual life rests entirely in that of Christ by the grace of God. Even our belief in Christ is a gift from God, as he, in his sovereignty, opens our hearts and our minds to see Jesus and our deep need for him through the Spirit. As we come to Christ, we must acknowledge our depravity, our need for grace, and our inability to please God on our own terms. This bread of life we did not reach out and take by our own strength. Rather, God the Father draws us in through the Holy Spirit that we may feast upon the life-giving flesh of Jesus Christ. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the creator, the giver, and the sustainer of our faith and our life. All three persons of the Trinity are active in the salvation of God's people, and we must remember that before the Holy Spirit changes our heart, we are enemies of God. And the Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes, as Pastor Pugliotti preached on this morning. We were blind, but by the Spirit, our eyes are open to the things of God. David, in Psalm 51, reminds us that we were conceived in sin, and we were brought forth in iniquity from our mother's womb. In verse 44 of our passage in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches that no one can come to him unless he is drawn by the Father. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and until we were quickened to faith by the Holy Spirit, we could not draw near to Christ. Only those given to Jesus by the Father are able to come to him. As followers of Christ, our faith is entirely a gift of grace by God through the life and flesh of Jesus. Faith is and always has rested upon the promise of God to save his people from sin and death, and has always pointed toward and been contingent not on our own obedience, 
but the obedience of Jesus Christ our Lord lived perfectly, even unto death on the cross. Let us continually rest upon the promise of God that has been fulfilled in Christ, as our hope has always been in the eternal God, the one who has sent his true bread from heaven to us. We, as adopted children of God, are heirs with Christ, and this means that we are hid with him, and he intercedes on our behalf from the right hand of the Father where he is now seated after his resurrection and ascension. No one or thing could ever provide for us what God himself has given us by his grace, his only begotten son. The second point of doctrine that I believe is important for our spiritual lives is that the eternal word of God, Jesus Christ, is our spiritual food. After we are given the spiritual life according to the will of God, we then must continue to be fed by him daily. Jesus refers to himself not only as the bread of life, but as the living bread. We must remember that in the Jewish culture, they often refer to bread as the general term they use for sustenance, for their food, their meal. It's not just limited to actual bread. But, so Jesus is clearly teaching here that he is not only the one who by his flesh gave eternal life to God's elect, but also that as we feast upon him, we are spiritually fed. Whoever feeds upon Jesus and believes in his words will be full. He will have no need, no want, and no thirst. The words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are, are rather fitting here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 30 through 33, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God sovereignly cares for his own people. And we must remember that our duty is to seek him and his righteousness. Or, in other words, to feast upon the true bread of life, which has come down from heaven. I believe it is pertinent for me to further this point of doctrine that we are to daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly seek to live our lives in a way that we put our trust entirely upon God for our nourishment as the one who provides all things for us. Through corporate and private devotion, we must come to the cross of Christ humbly with reverence to God by the power of the Holy Spirit as we feed upon the promise of God that is manifest in the incarnate Son of God in Christ. John is clearly proclaiming the sovereignty of God throughout this passage as well in John 6, but also is clear that the eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not only the basis of our existence, but they're also the basis of our eternal life. So when we come to Christ to be spiritually fed, we, were reminded, we are reminded that Christ's life was not a mean to some abstract end. No, Christ is the means and the end. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the giver and the object of all of our acts of worship. We are counted as righteous by believing in him, and he upholds and preserves us along with the Holy Spirit of God. Come to the fountain of your Lord to drink. Come partake of his flesh that you may be nourished and equipped by his word to do every good work and faithful deed. To close here, I'm going to have a few points of application that we all can walk away from in our context, and we can live out and feast upon Christ, our Lord and Savior. So to feast upon the bread of life, we must regularly approach the throne of grace. Brothers and sisters, along with myself, you all need to remember that our sustenance does not come from our work. 
or our income, nor the food that's on our table, but our true sustenance is the living word of God in the scriptures. Make a priority of spending time reading the scriptures, meditating upon them, memorizing them, sharing them with others. We have been given an infallible word from God that we must search out to grow spiritually, to know if we are living in accordance with the will of God. I am often reminded of how powerful the word of God is simply whenever I neglect to read it and I feel the the draw of life on my soul. So we are to be constantly feeding ourselves with the word of God to preserve us, to strengthen us, to guide our feet through life. Jesus is the eternal word according to John 1. And if we are to come to him to eat, we must do so with the scriptures laid out before our eyes and our hearts regularly. Number two, parents, make it a priority to be in the word of God and family worship with your children. We are to pray, we are to read the word, and we are to sing together regularly, emulating the normal patterns of corporate worship here at Calvary with our own families at home. The more we worship God in spirit and in truth, the more we feed upon the bread of life. Make it a habit to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day as a family in the word together, praying together, praying for other families, praying for your church. I truly believe this small act of regular family worship will be transformative for your marriage, for the development of your children, and for the culture of the church at large. The regular worship of God in spirit and in truth will shape the way we think. It will daily bring us closer to the bosom of God in Christ. Last thing, be steadfast in hearing the preaching of the word, in prayer, and in partaking of the Lord's Supper and baptism. The ordinary means of grace are those given to us by God to nourish our weary souls week after week and every day. Those who forsake the corporate worship of God will stagnate and will backslide and fulfill the fleshly desires that they had before. We must take every opportunity in this life to spend in fellowship and communion with our God and with other believers. If we are to feast upon Jesus and be fed by the bread of life, we must go to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit regularly with our hearts bowed toward the ground, ready to worship. Brothers and sisters, let the word of God nourish your souls this week. Let us imitate Christ in all that we do and seek his kingdom in all that we do. Just as Christ, the bread of life, who was sent from heaven, came to do the will of his Father, let us do the same. Let us die to ourselves daily, that we may feast upon Christ for all of eternity, for he is our portion forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we we come before you knowing your righteousness and your worth, and we we know there's no other being that deserves worship and praise but you. You are holy, 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 and we We love you and we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son, your only begotten son, for our salvation. Lord, as we go, as we come before you this week, allow us to leave this place and apply this word to our hearts, meditate upon the scriptures, live in accordance with your word, and obey your commandments to show not that we earned our salvation, but that by your grace, through the Holy Spirit, we may live a life that is pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for this time of worship and fellowship. We ask that you would nourish all the souls here and that your Holy Spirit would continue to fill us and feed us as we come to the throne of grace boldly, day by day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.